Heavenly Father, we pray now that you would speak to us by your spirit of your son. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Uh, When I was about eight years old, I went to school one morning as if it was any normal day. I was running around the playground. I started to feel quite funny. I had a pounding pulse. I got exhausted. I got quite ill, actually. And when I finally went to a doctor and then to the hospital, I was given a diagnosis that had a big impact on my life. I had a heart condition. It had been there from birth, but I found out about it that day. I had an episode that exposed what had been there all along. And it was a shock to me to hear what seemed like a serious diagnosis. It's not the sort of thing that you want to find out, certainly not at that age. But of course, I'm glad that I did, because it meant that I could get treatment. And in the couple of years that followed, as these episodes became more frequent, it was important that the doctors knew what was wrong so that they were able to do something about it. A couple of small operations later, and the problem was dealt with. Now, it wasn't fun, but it was necessary, and I'm grateful for it. You see, it is better to find out the truth about ourselves so that we can do something about it. And that really is where we've come to in our exploration of the life of Jesus as we're looking at Mark's gospel together. So far, we've been asking the question, who is Jesus? And now it's as if the camera is turned around 180 degrees and the focus starts to turn on us. Because we're asking the question now, why did Jesus come? And as we find answers to that in Mark's gospel, we'll see that Jesus has a lot more to say about us than just about himself. So for this time together, uh, I want us to zoom in on one episode in particular from the life of Jesus. It's from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And I'll read those verses as we go. We'll be looking at a couple of other places as well. The story starts with Jesus walking into a small town in Galilee called Capernaum. Verses 1 and 2 there. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. This really sums up so much of what we saw last time. Jesus is traveling from place to place, teaching and preaching as he goes. And the people there heard him speak and recognized in him something different to the other religious teachers of the day. They heard in him one who had authority and power to teach. And it's not just that. He was performing miracles too. Crowds were gathering around hoping that he would heal them. That's what draws our next characters on the scene. Verse 3, some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, 
They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mats the man was lying on. In that part of the world, the houses were made of baked clay uh, and the roofs would have been quite thin and easy to break. So here's a man who is desperate for help. He would love to be able to walk and his friends bring him so that he can get close. Uh, They break a hole in the roof, lower this man down into the house where Jesus is. And now imagine yourself where the man is for just a moment. It must have been quite a ride to have been pushed through this pressing crowd uh, and then to be taken onto a roof and then literally breaking and entering from above as he's lowered down. You're hoping that Jesus is going to say, get up and walk. My guess is that you're surprised, you're shocked even by what Jesus does say when he says it. It's there in verse five. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. This man and his friends, they're concerned about the fact that this man can't walk. Now, it's not that Jesus doesn't care about that. We'll see just how much he does care in a moment. But it's not the priority of Jesus' concerns here when he meets this man. Jesus' priority is this man's problem with sin. Jesus doesn't just look at appearances on the outside. He sees what's happening inside. And it leads him to a very different diagnosis of the problem that this man has. His biggest problem is not that he cannot walk, but that he is guilty of sin. Now, it must be said that Jesus doesn't for a moment suggest that this man is paralyzed because of his sin. He says elsewhere in the Gospels to a man born blind that it wasn't his sin or the sin of his parents that led him to be born that way. The point is not that the one leads to the other. The point, rather, is that sin is the biggest and most pressing problem facing this man. That it is the biggest and most pressing problem facing each one of us. When we look at the world, that there's so much to admire, so much to celebrate in it. But could you honestly say that the world is always fully good? This past century has seen over a hundred million people die violently, at least. This century has hardly got off to a good start in that regard. Why is the world like this? Uh, Jesus gives an uncomfortable diagnosis. He insists that the reason that there is something wrong with the world is that there is something wrong with us. Imagine for a moment that your whole life has been recorded. These days, we like to capture our best moments and put them out on social media to win friends and influence people. But imagine that the camera on your phone was always recording you, filming your every moment. 
And imagine that there was a text or photo record of every thought that you've had. An accurate account of everything that you've ever thought or said or done. And then imagine a data breach, a hack, a leak. That record put on display for everyone to see. Now, I'm sure that there is lots in there that people could look at that you might feel proud of. Unrecognized acts of kindness and generosity, loving relationships, real achievements. Yet I doubt that you would want to share that accurate record, even with your friends and family, let alone with the public. You know, sometimes celebrities and people in the public eye have old articles that they've written or posts from social media dredged up that come back to haunt them. And we look on them sometimes with judgment over their past indiscretions and their lack of wisdom in saying and doing the things that they have said and done. It is easy to judge, but I wonder how many of us don't have things in our past that we wouldn't want people to see and to know about. I cringe even to think of the headlines that would be run if you got hold of the record of my life. The front page news stories of people that I've hurt and let down. Of deliberate things that I've done that I know are wrong. Of all the mistakes that I've made. I wouldn't be able to look people in the eye. And I wonder, would you? What is the problem? Why is there so much to be ashamed of? Jesus gives the diagnosis a little later in Mark's gospel. In Mark chapter 7, verses 20 to 23. Jesus said, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. And when we look at the world, and we see all of its problems. We want to point the finger of blame outside towards others. But Jesus says the problem starts much closer to home. The reason that the world is not the way it should be is that we are not the way we should be. If we were to trace all the evil in the world and follow it back to its source, we would end up each time at the human heart. Why is it so hard to keep on good terms with those around us? Why do we let down those who we love the most? Why do we so often give in to those temptations that tell us to do the wrong thing? The diagnosis that Jesus gives here is more than surface deep. He describes what's going on inside each one of us. He says that each of us has a heart problem. And there's more. According to Jesus, our problem is not just that we often treat one another in a shameful way. It's that we treat God that way too. 
in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, Jesus tells us how we ought to relate to God. He's asked which of God's commandments is the most important. And he says uh, the most important one is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these, Jesus says. God is concerned with how we relate to one another, uh, that we love our neighbor. But the most important commandment, he says, is to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. It's only right because God made the world and sustained the world. He made us and sustained us and gives us every good thing that we enjoy. So what else could our response to him be? And did you notice that little word there that means everything? All our heart, mind, soul, and strength. No part of our lives should be held back from God. But our hearts don't beat that way, do they? We barely know his commands, let alone follow them. And instead of loving God, we live often as if we were God. That is the Bible's definition of sin. And it is deadly serious. As Jesus diagnoses our heart problem, he does so in order to warn us that we are in terrible danger. He says this in Mark chapter 9 from verse 43. If your hand causes you to stumble, Cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed with two hands than to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worms that eat them do not die, and the fire is not quenched. I was once giving some technical assistance at an event with several hundred partygoers and some very loud music, and the fire alarm went off. And once we'd noticed that the fire alarm had gone off, we had to set about turning off the music and trying to evacuate the place. You know, nobody much enjoys spoiling a party like that. But those people that night, they needed to decide whether the alarm was there to spoil their fun or whether it was there to keep them safe. And when we hear Jesus' words about hell, we have to ask ourselves why. Why would he speak in such strong terms? He's sounding a serious warning there? Is he trying to manipulate us? Is he trying to scare us? Or is he trying to give us a loving warning? If you read through the account of Jesus' life in Mark's gospel, you will encounter somebody who is always truly loving. He loves the kind of people that nobody else loves 
He loves the kind of people who would do him harm. He seeks their good. The reason Jesus warns us about hell is that he loves us and he doesn't want us to go there. He knows that if we reject God throughout our lives, then ultimately God will be right to reject us. He knows that our sin, if it isn't dealt with, will take us to a place of unimaginable and unending suffering. He warns us because he loves us. But he does more still than that. Jesus doesn't simply diagnose our heart problem, doesn't just leave us with a deadly prognosis. No, he says he is like a doctor who offers a cure for our heart problem. That's what he says in Mark 2 and verse 17. He says there, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And if you understand those words, then you begin to have an answer to that question. Why did Jesus come? He came for sinful people. He came for needy people. He came for people like you and like me. He came to offer forgiveness for sins. Now that is a big claim. And it's not a popular one with the people who were listening into the conversation that Jesus was having as he spoke to the man on the mat in the house that day. Uh, Mark 2 verse 6. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? These so-called religious experts, they've got something right and they've got something wrong. What they've got right is to recognize that sin is ultimately offense against God. So if sins can be forgiven, it is only God who is able to forgive sins. What they've got wrong is to fail to recognize that Jesus is God, that he does have the power and the authority to forgive sin. So the story concludes This way from verse 8. Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. Or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Humanly speaking, it is easy to say those words, Your sins are forgiven. Much harder to say to a paralyzed man, Get up and walk. And yet Jesus performs the miracle in order to prove his power and authority. Only God can restore a paralyzed man to good health. Only God can forgive sin that is committed against God. What Jesus does here is to reveal the deep inner problem with the human heart and to demonstrate 
that he alone is able to offer the solution for it. For me, I didn't know that I had a heart problem until I had it revealed one day. And it wasn't good news, but it meant that I sought treatment, which was good news. And for each of us, with our sin before God, we'll never understand why Jesus came until we see the reality of our own hearts. We'll go through life in terrible danger. But if we heed the warning, and if we hear the diagnosis, then we will find in Jesus a doctor for heart-sick people. We will find one who came to call sinners and to offer them forgiveness.